podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. I have a confession to make about my chat with Abby Cornish. We actually first recorded it at her Hollywood Hills home earlier in the day and we decided to sit outside and between the honking traffic down the hill, the police helicopters, the leaf blowers and her dogs, we kind of gave up. So um, luckily for me, Abby was very generous, took matters into her own hands and invited me back a few days later, very late at night, where we sat inside and still got the spectacular view, but had a much quieter time telling her story, except for the occasional moment when one of her dogs jumped on the couch for a cuddle. So here's Abby. Thank you so much for doing this and inviting us into your beautiful little home. It's so cute. We're looking out over the whole of, well, it's not Hollywood, we're in Hollywood, but we're, so what yeah. are we looking at? Well, we're in the West Hollywood Hills up behind Chateau Marmont. We're, we're looking at West Hollywood. And if you, if you get out outside, you can see all the way downtown. It's kind of a nice view. And you can see LAX in the background. And if it's a really clear day from upstairs, you can see the ocean, which is really pretty. Wow. It's nice. I like having a view. I had a view when I first moved here and then I moved into a place on Melrose, which was a very commercial space, which used to be Phil Noyce's place. And I didn't realise how much a view makes a difference, you know, gives you perspective, you you see the day, the stars, the moon, the sun, which for me is, I think, being a country girl is really important. So now you have your own little bit of heaven here. Yes, it's true. And walking distance to the famous Chateau Marmont, which is about as Hollywood as it gets here, right? <laughs> I know. It's so funny. And I really love that place. It's it's actually one of the first places that I that I went to when I came to Hollywood without knowing what it was. Hmm. So it has a very like warm place in my heart and everyone that works there is so lovely. Obviously the people that go through there are, are so interesting. And, uh, and yeah, now it's basically my second, second living room. <laughs> so well, let's talk about the journey that led you here. You, you just referred to yourself as a country girl, a farm girl. You, you did really grow up on a farm and you were very far from any idea that this would be your life, right? Yeah, definitely, especially when I was younger because, you know, I think growing up in such a small town and growing up with a bunch of brothers, you know, it was just day by day getting through school and, and living this this farm life really. You know, my whole, my whole cosmos was my family, the farm, and then whoever was it within walking or horse riding distance or motorbike distance – you know, next door. You were in New South Wales, right? New South Wales, Lochinvar, New South Wales, yeah. And you what were you farming? We farm everything we farmed was just for us. My my dad did trade cattle, but we farmed cows, pigs, uh, ducks, chickens, turkeys. What else did we? I mean, we had we had so many animals. It was crazy. We had a baby kangaroo at one point that had lost its mum, so we took care of it until it got really big. 
and it was a male, so it was a red, a red-backed kangaroo, you know, and he was giant. He was like six foot something by the time he was, you know, running around with other kangaroos. And every, all the meat that we ate came from the farm. And what was your first introduction to TV or film, if, if there was any at the farm? Yeah. When I was, when I was about 12, 11 or 12, I, I was a bit of a night owl, but nobody else was in my household. And because it, we lived in the country, there was so much space, you know. And so I started staying up later and later and I would – be painting or drawing or reading and writing and then I started watching ABC and SBS uninterrupted programming international uh, artistic independent that was that was where I was mostly influenced I wasn't into the commercial sort of stuff because I didn't it didn't make sense to me you know so how did you get from loving those kind of movies to knowing that that was actually a career and you could pursue it. It was an interesting journey for me because I think I was absorbing this this material and this world without knowing my place within it. And then when I was when I was about 13, I entered a modeling competition and I won that competition, an agent signed me in Sydney and the first thing she sent me to was an acting audition. And I remember going to this audition, doing the audition, getting the role, going on set, and the very first day I was on set, five hours later, I called my mum. I was like, Mum, do you think I can keep doing this? Do you, think, like, do, you, do you think like this could be something that, you know, I could continue doing? And she was like, yeah, you do what you want, you know, you do, do whatever you want. And the producers of that then made Wildside, um, which I got an AFI award for and then I made a film and then I totally fell in love with acting. I mean, I, the, I remember the exact moment that I thought this is for me, which was actually on Wild Side, but I was surrounded by incredible people, Rachel Blake and Tony Martin. I mean, amazing actors. That show was really quite, quite creative, you know, uh, unique. It had... It had a real drive to it. I mean, that was a pretty trendy show at the time. And so lucky for me, I was influenced by a lot of actors and filmmakers, and I call them filmmakers even though it was television because it really felt like making a film, that made me want to be a part of that. And then as soon as I made feature films, I just was like head over heels. You glossed over the part where you won the modelling contest and got an agent. You were out there. What made you want to enter a modelling contest and – and was that the only contest you entered? I think at that age I just started to become a, a girly. How know? old were you? I was probably 13, 13, 14. It all sort of happened at the same time. I entered a couple of competitions. Um, the one that that uh, the agent signed me from was a catwalk competition. And basically for me that was about putting on nice clothes and doing my hair and makeup and being a girl because otherwise I was riding motorbikes and learn, like driving cars and building stuff and fixing things, you know, <laughs> which was fun. Just after that I entered the Dolly Model Competition, um, the Dolly Magazine Model Competition. You had to submit a few photos and write a bio and I was selected as, a fin- as one of the final six and I, I remember this, uh, this aeroplane landed in Lochinvar because we have an airport in Lochinvar. Wow. Believe it or not. And 
I got on the plane and sitting in the middle of the plane was this beautiful, beautiful girl, same age as me, slim, big blue eyes, long dark hair, and she was from Gunadar, and that was Miranda Kerr. Oh, she was your competition. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, she definitely won that competition, <laughs> no doubt. Wow. Yes, it's funny. I've, I've watched her today and I see photos of her. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we were just two little 14-year-olds <laughs> on an aeroplane. Your first role before Wildside, what was that? That was a role in ABC's children's hospital and I played the role of a quadriplegic quadriplegic who had lost her mother and father in a car accident she's a single child oh yeah it was pretty it was pretty it was pretty deep very dramatic but there was so much so much material you know but you were totally inexperienced at that point right your yeah. first role yeah yeah and you had to act without using any of your body parts I right? know but I thought I I, I kind of thought that was a cop-out I was like this is easy you know like I don't have to do anything. I just talk and tell this story. And the story was so full, I didn't have to do anything. Honestly, to be totally honest, you just say the lines, everything else happens. And, and then I had a great time zooming around in this wheelchair and I was learning. I learned a lot during that time because I think I was, because I was young, I was so social. So I'm talking to the grips and the gaffers. I'm talking to the ADs. Like I, I think I learned what every job on a television set was at that point. Like, you know, and I, and I remember asking, so why is, why is the tape on her feet pink all the time? Because that's her colour, you know, just simple things like this. And why are those marks there and those marks there? And what does this light do? And, yeah, it was a really nice time for me. Your first movie was called Monkey's Mask, right? I think so. Do you have any memories about being on your first film set? The very first day I was on that film set, I was laid onto a, a metal slab and prosthetics were applied to my body for about five hours and it was cold and it was weird because that character in that movie, she gets, you know, basically she gets buried alive and eaten by wolves or something weird or dogs oh, or whatever. Oh, you still wanted to do this yeah. for a job. <laughs> Apparently I have a forte. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so then they then they buried me in the uh in the middle of nowhere and I just had to lie there with like an arm sticking out and like you know maybe my mouth so I could breathe and uh at the end of the night I remember like I was so young but my back was so sore and I was so tired and so cold <laughs> and, and uh and yeah so that was that was the first day on a movie set but there's something I loved about this world, you know, because for me it was being being someone who grew up without television, television, without no internet, no internet, and so for me there was something really fascinated, fascinating about stepping through what I knew as a box that was in the living room and in the rumpus room that had ten numbers on it, only five of them worked. The rest were all fuzzy. And stepping through that and actually becoming a part of it, I, I thought that was so fascinating. Like, so, it was transportational, you know. Would you say Somersault was sort of the beginning of the real start of your career in terms of just knowing that this was not just a phase? Yeah, Somersault for me was a very pivotal time 
in general. And by the way, it felt very foreign to me. Like it felt like a foreign film. At this point, obviously, I didn't really know the Australian film industry. But for me, it felt like all the movies I'd been watching on SBS. And so for me to play the lead role in that was, it changed everything for me. Because all of a sudden, I realized that this was a form of art, that that this was something that was much bigger than just, you know, momentary entertainment. That we made a film that people, you know, still watch today. Yeah. Yeah, and talk to me about today, you know. And I I think back on that time and it's a really special time. And it was Sam Worthington was in that movie with you. He was still – he was pretty new too, right? We were both so fresh and green, yeah. And then you ended up getting to go to the Cannes Film Festival with that movie. What was that like for you two? Ken, well, for us, because I was, I hung out with Sam the whole entire time and he's, he's super Australian and very laid back and still is, that for us, we, and we had no, both of us, no publicists, we had no managers, we just had our Aussie agents and they weren't there because they, we, you know, we flew economy, it was a tiny little movie, <laughs> we stayed in little Airbnb kind of situations, we weren't, do you know what I mean, there was no yeah. glitz, there was no glamour, yeah. we did, I did my own hair and makeup, I don't think Sam did any hair and makeup <laughs> <laughs> and we just kind of hung out, so for us, to be honest, when I think of that time, it's a very interesting time because it didn't involve any of what you think that world is about mm. at all. And then we, I remember we would get propositions by people, agents from – at the time it was – they were just, you know, letters, CAA, ICM, WM you – know, I, I, I think back then it was actually William Morris, right? WMA. It was be, yeah, it was before they changed. William Morris Agency. Yeah, but they would come to us and say, hey, guys, we really want to be your agents and here's why. And it, we had no idea what was going on. We'd just say, oh, that's lovely, thank you, <laughs> you know. And then we got on a plane and went home. So you weren't really thinking you wanted to get an – you didn't have this plan, you, I'm going to get an American agent while I'm there and then I'm going to move to Hollywood. Zero plan, but also had no one in my ear. And it wasn't important to me. You know, I was still just like living life, becoming yeah. a, slowly becoming a woman. So all that stuff was just like, oh, right, really? Okay, yeah, um, I'm just going to go home now. <laughs> well, so you kind of really just sort of turned down the whole... I think I've always had um, a very strong internal compass and I've everything I've ever done in my life has been done with instinct. So basically I just kept feeling no, no. No, 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 no. And sometimes people were approaching me and selling something to me that I didn't believe in or I didn't feel was my journey. And, because I, and I mean, to give them credit, they just didn't understand me, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. They didn't understand. I was just a little girl from the middle of nowhere who was just into life and animals and art and, you know, music and stuff like this and... If they had come to me and said, oh, you, you can do your art in this great place that has an ocean and, and you know, beautiful mountains you can hike in, maybe they would have got me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they sold it in a different way. And then one day uh, an agent from CAA, Hilda Creeley, flew all the way out to Melbourne and met me in a cafe down the road from my place and she she 
she understood me. And she talked to me and I was like, okay, maybe this will work. By this time I was like 20, 21 or 20, 20 wow. maybe 21 or something. And like Hilda Queerly, for people who don't know, is one of the, the most respected, well-known managers in Hollywood. She also works with Kate Blanchett and oh, so many other yeah. great actresses. Yeah, she so has, she came there to Melbourne to, to yeah. pursue you. That must have felt pretty exciting. Well, at, to be honest, same situation. At the time I was like, oh, okay, cool. This lady really wants to meet and I'll go down, you know, to this cafe and hang out. And when I met her, it was the first person that ever really spoke to me. Right. And talked to me about film and and, and that was right and after um, you come back from the festival. Or oh later? no, this was a couple of years later. All this so it was is after slow. Candy. Yeah, I was a slow burn. <laughs> I was I was so caught up in life, you know, because I was also making music. I was painting, and so for me, even though I knew that I really loved the world of acting and it was my bread and butter, it it wasn't my be all and end all. Like I never, you know what I mean? Yeah. I never, I never filled it with hopes and dreams and stuff like that. Um, and for me, Hollywood was just this far off distant place that I didn't really understand. And I was working consistently. So there was no, there was no push to, you know, which they, I think they do a lot these days, which is, oh, to, to, to have a career, you know, you gotta, you gotta go, go to LA, live in LA and, for a lot of actors, it's pilot season and being here is... But I don't quite think that's the case. Well, you've done it your own way, so that's a good example. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have when you really... Yeah. You know, even you look at people today. I mean, Kate Blanchett is living in Australia, so is Nicole, right? Yeah. I mean, I think she has a place over here yeah. um, with her husband and stuff. But, you know... Well, a lot of them come and go. Come sure. and go. Come and go, yeah, because home's, home's important. So you were, you you did Candy, um, and that was a movie that was also famous for for other. Not only was it an incredible film, it also sort of launched Heath Ledger's career as well as yours, and um, was written by Luke Davies, who I've also had on my podcast, based on his own story. What was that experience like? You guys went to Western Australia to make that film? We actually shot it in Sydney. You did? Yeah, we shot it. We were out of the Fox Studios lot in Sydney. Yep. And, yeah, that was a really incredible experience. I think I was 21. So f- for the, the space of time that we shot the film, I lived in Bondi and, strangely enough, Heath and Michelle Williams were living in a house up the other end of the beach, which was kind of nice, right? to be in such close proximity. And it was right in the middle of so many films for him. He, he shot five films in a row. Wow. Yeah, and it was his... I, think I didn't it, realise it was that late in his career that he did Candy. Yeah, he was a little older than me and, uh, yeah, I was 21. He, he was a little ahead of me. That's when, they, that's when they fell pregnant with their baby and, yeah, so it was... It was a really so. Be- it was after Brokeback Mountain. After Brokeback Mountain, oh. yeah. It was the last. He did five films in succession, and it was the last of those five films. Right. And then they took a break, had the baby, and then of course, next minute, award. You know, Academy Awards and all this sort of stuff yeah. for Brokeback and Candy came out, and you know, and then then he was on a roller coaster of roles and films and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah, it was during that time. It was, yeah, it was a really interesting time and it was such a beautiful piece um, of, of filmmaking, which, as you know, is Luke Davies' story yeah. that he wrote 
as a book, he wrote as a film, and then it went on screen. So Luke was there every single day. And what was the relationship, working relationship like for you with Heath? Did you have different ways of working? Did you work the same way? What surprised you about him? You know how some people you, you meet and you connect with and it's almost like you don't have to go through anything to get to your friendship. It's just given. He was very much like that for me and I think me for him. And, yeah, very very open soul, a very creative soul, loving, um, fun, adventurous and kind of magical, you know. He's had this energy about him and everybody loved Heath, like everyone loved Heath. And, and as an actor he was explorative and – and, yeah, every, everything was new and interesting and fun and exciting, you know. He was always in a playground as an actor. Was he very methody or were there rehearsals? How did, how did that work? No, he had this perfect, he had this perfect balance, which, which I've ac- actually seen in some of the most amazing actors I've ever worked with, worked with. To be able to deeply connect with the work that he was doing and dive in the deep end, but also be himself. You know, and and to be able to like kind of be hands up on that journey. And by hands up, I mean free, you know, just like let's go. But he also is – he was so smart. So he had this intellectual capacity to understand the work that he was doing. So these are – this is, for me, the best actors I've ever worked with. Um, they work like this, you know. And is it true that he – he decided in the middle of rehearsals he didn't want to do it that way anymore. It was in yeah, it was a few days in. We were basically three days into sitting in a room, reading scene by scene. Heath just got up and he said, This I can't do this. And Neil looked at him like, What do you mean? He goes, I don't know, this is just bullshit. I mean, why are we sitting here dissecting this like this? The script's already written. It's all there because it was a it was a really perfect script. It didn't change much. Because Luke's an amazing writer. And he said, I, me and Abby need to go out and learn about this world, these people, and find a way to become them, like become them basically. So Neil was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we went off and I spent a lot of time um, King's Cross in, in, with prostitutes in prostitution houses. We also went to various locations. We went to NA meetings. We spent time with heroin addicts and heroin addicts' families and just started to soak this world up. So the, basically the more stories we absorbed, the more this became real. And then rehearsals became um, a little more uh, loose, I guess you would say. <laughs> But it made the film that you see today. Wow. Yeah. So for a young green girl suddenly going marching around King's Cross yeah. must have been eye-opening. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It was incredible. And, and it was all, you know, it's like school. You get, you, get, you get an assignment. You get some homework. Some stuff, you know, is two plus four or whatever. And some stuff you have to research and study and interpret. So it kind of felt like a bit of a research project. Right. And then just letting that just come out. We kept it fun as well, like in, at lunchtime sometimes because it was heavy stuff. Like that, that, that was heavy. You know, there was times me and Heath would walk off set and we'd both be very emotional and tears in our eyes and, you know, obviously 
him and Michelle were pregnant with the baby. So when we did the scenes where they'd lost the baby, that mm. was hitting him like there's no tomorrow because he's about to have a baby. And, you know, this, this is heavy life stuff. And so sometimes we would literally take our skateboards, skate down the street, skate back, sit in his trailer and play Xbox and eat lunch. <laughs> and then we and everything would be so normal and then we'd go back on set, you know? Well, you kind of have to get out of that headspace, right? Just take little breaks because otherwise it's too much. And mm. Yeah, and he was really good with that. He, he was kind of very um, – he was the instigator of that stuff. And we liked all the same stuff, so it was very easy to hang, you know? Was uh, The Good Year your first international film? Yeah, it was. I was pretty young. I think I was 22 then too. So it was like a year after Candy. I mean, it was a Ridley Scott movie and you shot it in France. Yeah, in Bonheur um, in the south of France. Yep. Not, t- not, not a tough place. No, to very it. difficult. <laughs> and Russell Crowe obviously starred in that movie too. I mean, and then you went on a year later to, to Elizabeth um, with Kate Blanchett. So did you learn anything uh, watching the two of them work? I mean, you worked with Heath further in his career, both of them were further along and you were all in these international movies together? Yeah. I, You know, it's funny because they're all very different actors, which is interesting, and some really trained. So Heath wasn't a trained actor, a little bit more like my, my story, you know. Kid from Perth, jumped in a car, went across, yeah. across the country to Sydney and did an audition, boom. Uh, next minute, there goes his journey. Um, whereas people like Kate Blanchett and and Jeffrey Rush, they're you know very trained actors. I don't know Russ's background, but yeah, he seems he seems a bit more like a guy that kind of stumbled into it, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't actually know his his background as an actor. And so these are all very different actors and very different people, too. Very different people. And so I think. I would absorb things unknowingly along the way, you know. Um, Kate's a very professional actress. I was very young when I worked with her, so I sort of was like, whoa, you know, she's like so much more mature and trained and professional than me and, you know, um, because I kind of just learn my lines and do my research and roll into work and do my thing and roll out. And, um, but you saw the responsibility that comes with being number one on the call sheet then, right? Yeah, and she had kids and a family and, you know, her career was skyrocketing at the time and, you know, it was very – and there I am, this little 20 whatever, – whatever I was, 22-year-old, just uh, watching her, her do her thing and she's playing the queen, you know, <laughs> I think – I think as well, and Jeffrey was also on that movie. That's right. And they were they were very close too. So and so they really got along a lot. And you know, I worked with Hugo Weaving and and a lot of these people when I was younger. But yeah, everyone was always different. And so I think little bits and pieces I would take in mm-hmm. some some pieces knowingly and some pieces unknowingly. And. Yeah, and I guess... Was Russell, um, did he sort of look out for you as a young Aussie girl on his movie? Russ was really cute because he's such a family guy and, you know, I turned up in France. I get onto this movie. I very quickly realised that this movie is about Russell and Ridley being in the south of France and having a great time because Ridley had a house, I think, three miles from where we were shooting 
and Russ was a bit big into wine and food and they were buddies, you know. So I was like, oh, well, that's cool. So there was a very relaxed atmosphere. Russell, I think it was in the first week, Russ bought me a mountain bike and Harley Davidson gloves that say ride free and a Harley jacket. It took me to dinner and lunch and all this sort of stuff. He was like, he was very warm. Oh, how nice. So then where did you end up, at what point did you end up moving to LA or was there a discussion for you now that you were working internationally? Well, the next step is I have to move to Hollywood. Yeah, it it kind of, it happened more organically. I left home when I was 15. I was very young when I left home. And I kind of moved around Newcastle, Sydney, Melbourne for for a couple of years and then as soon as I finished school, I went to France and traveled through Europe for 6 months, came home for a month, went through South America for a few, you know, I I basically just set off like a lot of Aussies do. So I was a gypsy. I was living this gypsy life. And then around 23, I did a movie in uh, Austin and uh, subsequently fell in love and ended up moving to Los Angeles to, to be with my boyfriend at the time. And it's funny because the move, because the move was personal, it made the experience total, totally different. I bet. It was it was a really beautiful time for me and I and think we should say the movie is stop loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of Did course the boyfriend is Ryan Philippe. Yeah, he was exactly. In that movie yeah. And we we met on that movie and then about six months later I came back and did reshoots and and we fell in love and ended up moving here and I live we lived together for about three and a half years and when we split I was I realized it's funny because I was like, Oh, what should I do? you know? Should I go and live in Paris or you know what I mean? Should I go to Barcelona or should I just go home back to Australia? Because you didn't have that choice while you were together because he had kids that lived in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. And I did really love it here too. Like I really got into the culture here. It's a, LA has an amazing culture and it's something that you don't always see. I mean maybe now because of movies and all that sort of stuff people get a sense of it but – the nature, the ocean, the country, the animals, like this is a really beautiful, beautiful place. And if you like the outdoors particularly, mm. and if you like a little more quiet, because obviously New York's the opposite. It's super American, but it's fast-paced, you know, everything's happening around you and you can walk out in the street and it's just like boom, 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 boom. Whereas LA is a little more chill. So for me, I really sunk into that vibe. And after a few years, I was like, oh, do I want to leave? And Heath was, Heath was here at the time. He's like, don't go, don't go. Oh. I'm like, okay. Was <laughs> Heath in the famous house where he'd given 30 people a key? Uh, the Spanish one? Mm. No, he'd moved at this point. He had moved into his house um, just off of Maholland. Oh. So you had, you had your... You had friends in LA too that were saying stay here. Yeah, I had I had friends and I'd sort of I think because I because I'd been in a relationship that it was much it was an easy entry into a social environment, you know, because you know it's not always neat, easy when you move to a new place. Yeah. But if you you're with, already have somebody to yeah, go out and you meet can't. You with. go hang and you meet this person, you meet that person. It's funny, like now my 
best friend that I'm writing the cookbook with I met, you know, 12 years ago at a football match at Ryan's house. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah, yeah so friendships were born out of that and then I just stayed. And this really feels like home to me. It's funny. I mean, I go home and of course home's home. Yeah. But I really feel it at home in, in L.A. And you made some great movies during that time that you were living in L.A. They, they, I don't think many of them shot in L.A., but you were sort of more internationally based. So regardless of whether you did it for personal reasons or professional reasons, maybe it kind of made you more sort of visible in terms of, you know, being cast or noticed. I don't know if that you felt that way, but you did, I think you did Limitless with Bradley Cooper. You did Bright Star with Jane Campion around during that period, right? Yeah, and for me, I think one job has always led to the other because I've never been someone who goes to parties and goes out a lot. I I tend to live more of a private life. Um, um, You know, I don't, as you know, I don't have a publicist. I haven't had a publicist for four or five years. I don't have an agent. I just have a... I love that about you, Abby. (laughs) I have to tell everybody listening that I don't know... I don't know any other actress that's at the level that Abby's at that does not have a publicist. It's it's pretty amazing. It's really it's a it's been a really interesting journey for me. And I was talking to Michael Lazo, I think last week about it, and I was like, oh, Laz, I can't that's, believe that's your your manager, my manager. So the only the only there's only two people I work with: Michael Lazo, my manager, and my entertainment lawyer, Greg. You know, because sometimes it feels a little scary because there's there's no there's no network around me telling me that I'm great or <laughs> what's about to happen or putting me in magazines or telling me what party to go to, you know, all this sort of Hollywood stuff. It's just me, you know, my little landline. People people email me, I'm like, call me on my landline. <laughs> and just pretty much a daily conversation with Lazo, um, even if it's two minutes or five minutes. and So, yeah, it's very different. Well, during that period, you also probably got a little experience um, when you were living with Ryan with the other side of LA. I wonder what that taught you or maybe this, this the way you live now is sort of in reaction to having been forced into, you know, you weren't forced into the relationship, but by the nature of who he was, you ended up being stuck dealing with things that you had never had to deal with before, right? Yeah, in a way, it it made me stronger. At the time, some things were very difficult to deal with. And as you know, I'm pretty quiet. Uh, I'm not one to to stand up and say, that's wrong, or make statements, or, you know... Um, try to try to paint a picture of anything other than just me living my life. And so so yeah, I think I think for me it to be honest it just made me stronger. Um and it was a really beautiful time. Like it was we were super in love and the kids are adorable and you know, I I've seen them, I see them still and yeah, and so so I think out of that it was like a pretty weird insight into the world of um, paparazzi and media and the way things can be um, uh, exploited or contorted or whatever it is. And 
And but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes things encourage if you if if you go through it honestly and openly and just do your thing, encourage you to become more and more the person that you are. And and I definitely feel like it's funny, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that's 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 how I got to here, you know? I remember um, seeing you at the Breakthrough Awards after you did Stop Loss, the Australians in film group that I was part of. We gave you this award and... and Thank you. (laughs) Well, we kind of got it right. Look at you now. (laughs) Um, And I remember that there was just so much more attention about the fact that you were there with Ryan than about you getting the award. And it must have been a strange thing to be have that swirling around you you know that was I still remember like I think People Magazine had done a whole thing about like confirming the relationship (laughs) because they were holding hands or something silly like that it's so silly isn't it it's so (laughs) silly and at that time I was 23 so it's been a long time but being 35 I feel like I have this perspective on everything that's come before that is just very positive and and I and even with my work, with my life, with, you know, um, just day-to-day things. Like even learning how to cook. I started to learn how to cook when I was 30. I know that seems like old, old. <laughs> like to learn how to cook. But I was always I won't the- tell you I haven't learned yet, so you're, you're way ahead of me. <laughs> I can teach you. I can teach you. I'd been this kid who grew up in the country and everything was pretty basic, you know, meat, veggies, you get it, right? Yeah. Aussie, Aussie kind of cooking. Barbies and then I traveled around the world so it was hotels film sets restaurants cafes I did become a super foodie though in my 20s because I was dining all over the world and I had money so I could spend money on fancy food and as soon as I learned about wine I was buying really nice wine so I had good taste but I didn't know how to cook and when I turned 30 my best friend Jacqueline King King Schiller, she's a chef, and something just clicked. I was actually reading a book on uh, Zen Cohen's called Bring Me the Rhinoceros by John Curran, and there was this chapter about a woman who'd found enlightenment in the kitchen, and I got to the end of the chapter, and basically she found enlightenment through cooking and washing dishes and stuff. It's a really pretty beautiful story. It's very simple, but for some reason it like struck a chord with me, And Jacqueline was cooking breakfast and I looked at her and I was like, hey, Jackie. (laughs) She's like, yeah. I was like, do do you think, you know, people can really find enlightenment in the kitchen? And she kind of smiled at me and nodded. She's a little older than me, but um, she smiled and nodded. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, can you teach me how to cook? I really want to learn. I want to learn this, you know. I've never really known this. And so even for me at 30, learning how to cook was a huge turning point in my life in general, you know. And I, I see it's like filtering into everything, my day-to-day life. And so everything we go through and we choose to go through just shapes us, right? And you've got a cookbook coming out later this year too, right? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be started next year because um, we're looking for spring release because a lot of the food, it's it's plant, whole food based. Um, we have seafood and eggs, but it's dairy free, gluten free. Basically, it's pescatarian meets vegan pescatarian. Right. So yeah, we're going for spring because it's very light and feminine. 
yeah, airy and family friends vibe. Well, going back to what we were just talking about before, then you you made that movie We where you weren't in scenes with Madonna, but you played uh, her character as a younger yeah woman. So, did you have much to do with her on that film? Because there's another person that you could witness the insanity that goes on around them. Oh my gosh, all day, every day. Yeah, it was really it was really weird because I was sitting I was sitting in my mum's office in Newcastle. I was visiting my mum. And uh, I was, I think I was with Hilda at the time. And Hilda, Hilda said, Madonna wants to Skype with you. She has this movie. I was just like, <laughs> like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm like, this is Madonna. You no know? way. And so I'm sitting in my mum's office and beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, Madonna comes up. And I remember looking at this woman. And funnily, she actually looks a bit like my mum from a while ago. And uh, it's weird. And she's a Leo and I'm a Leo. Like there's, there's little things that are like linked between us. Mm-hmm. And she's super cool. Like so – she's so like free and young and she's awesome. I remember seeing this woman. She had no makeup on. Her hair was pulled back, this blonde hair. And I thought, gosh, she's beautiful. And we Skyped and – Literally, it was. A, I think it was like a thirty-minute Skype. Got off the Skype, and she she cast me in the role within five minutes. And oh. I worked on this film with her, with Andrea Riseborough, who I'm sure you know. Yeah, who is one of my dear friends, and she's been doing some really cool stuff too. Actually, with um, she has a production company now, so she does a lot of like more independent films as well. She's a very interesting creative soul as well, and so and Oscar Isaac. Mm. You know, we had this weird little mix of actors. And Madonna. And so that was a really interesting experience for me. And, yeah, I mean, gosh, like we're in London and you go for meetings at her house and it's a seven-storey, do you know what I mean? Yeah. House right in the middle of London and it's it's exquisitely beautiful and there's real like Mark Riders on the wall. Like there's, you know what I mean? You look at a a painting you're like, you know the painting and it is really that painting. (laughs) It was that kind of house, yeah. Right. Um, so this brings me up to 2012 where um, you worked on Seven Psychopaths and you met Martin McDonough who, who is already just a beloved playwright and, and I think one of Ireland's favourite sons. Um, were you familiar with his writing or of him before and what made you say yes to Seven Psychopaths? I, I wasn't familiar with his plays um, but I did become familiar with his plays which are incredible. Yeah, and he cast me in Seven Psychopaths. Tiny little role, but obviously incredible cast, incredible crew. And then he has this um, this mentality where anyone that he works with that he likes and thinks is good, he uh, rehires them. So he's developed this film family of sorts. So we all know each other, you know. When so we sh- it was like Colin Farrell and Woody Harrelson and that whole... Yeah. Yeah, so he'd done In Bruges with with Colin um, and some of the crew and then Seven Psychopaths obviously linked to three billboards. You have Sam Rockwell, you have Woody Harrelson. He'd met Fran, be- Fran years and years before and wrote that role for her um, and I was obviously recast out of Seven Psychopaths and to be honest, 90% of the crew 
was the crew from Seven Psychopaths. And that was this is like four years, five years later. And so he, he wants to keep this, this going and I think it's a really wonderful way to work. I mean, being part of a movie like Three Billboards that has just really, you know, entered the zeitgeist and won the Golden Globe for Best Picture and, you know, you guys were swept away on that journey of everybody just loving this little tiny movie. Did you know that's what it was going to be when you first read the script or first heard about it? I don't think I knew that it was going to win all the awards that it did. I did know it was super special. I did know it was like testing the ba- like boundaries of filmmaking at the time because not only was it political and social and it kind of – it's such a commentary on humanity, you oh, know. Right. But, yeah, it's, so I, I kind of knew something special was there. And But then as soon as it started happening, I'm like, of course, of course, of course, of course. I mean, Francis's performance in that movie is one of the best I've ever seen in my life. What were, what were you all like together as a cast when you were making that movie? We were all very um, familiar and we were in Asheville, um, which is a really small town. So it's funny because, yeah, and it's tiny little town. So, and we all stayed in apartments and stuff like this. A few, a few, few of us stayed in hotels, but for the most part, like me and Woody, like Woody was in a house out in the middle of nowhere in the boondocks. You had to drive 45 minutes to get to Woody's house, (laughs) which was really fun. We'd hang out there most weekends. And and then, like, Fran had her little apartment. I had my apartment. Sam had his apartment. But, you know, we're all in this little tiny town. And it was funny because you'd walk and you'd run into people. Like, I would walk and run into Caleb. Caleb, what are you doing? He'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go. So it was this – and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm off to yoga. (laughs) <laughs> and it, so it was very cute. Um, Frances were, had a very particular way of working where she she didn't spend a lot of time with the boys and I think the reason for this was is that she really wanted to to let the work the work speak for itself and not to divide the line, you know, where you're like, hey, mate, how's it going? Like, we're best friends, boom, enemy. Um, they were all very close, but she had this consciousness to give herself the space to really go deep and uh, really delve into this very unique character. And I saw that payoff, you know. It wasn't really method acting, but it was conscious acting. I just coined a phrase. <laughs> so it, did it mean you got to hang out with her because you weren't one of the boys? Oh, yeah, yeah, we hung out. She's She's a foodie too, so... That was one thing we really connected on is food and, you know, we'd have a couple of cocktails and stuff like this and we'd talk about the markets. Like, did you see the strawberries they had at the local market, you know? (laughs) How red were they? Like just really (laughs) simple stuff. And then I would go off and like play ping pong with boys and play guitar and, you know. Um, So it was like a really fun – it was a really fun group of people and very, um, very easy, very lively, very warm. Yeah, it was really, it was a really, really, we, we all like think, think back about that time. We're like, oh, you know, let's do it again. Last year you had Geostorm and Three Billboards coming out within a few months of each other. And Geostorm was one, as big a blockbuster as you could get where you're playing the kick-ass Secret Service agent um, and Gerard Butler's supposed to be saving the world but you're kind of saving the world too right (laughs) totally (laughs) (laughs) which was a great way to see a woman in a movie like that I mean I'm assuming that's one of the reasons why you 
you did that? Also, were you curious about that genre? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. As an actor, I kind of love doing everything. I get a kick out of it. And I, I love shifting genres. I also love the challenge of doing something new. Um, yeah, and I mean, it is a pretty kick-ass role. But I did a, I did a, about five movies back to back, and every one was really different. Like, there's a movie that's going to come out. You know, it's a bit weird this movie, um, but it's going to come out soon in cinemas. It was this tiny little movie that was made for half a million bucks, and the story behind it's pretty cute for me. Um, I was hiking my dogs at Runyon Canyon about four years ago, and this boy that was shorter than me, um, probably about 12 years old, was like, hey, your dogs are really cute, you know, can I pat them, what dog's this and all this and we start talking, he's there with his father and at the end, we're like, we really got along, me and this kid, he's like, what do you, like, what do, you do, I'm like, I'm an actor, he goes, me too, anyway, um, cut to, we started following each other on Instagram and messaging each other and he, he started to go on this journey as an, a young actor and he he Instagram messaged me. <laughs> he says, hey, hey, Abs, um, uh, I'm doing this movie, this little movie. I think it's really cool. Will you play my mom? Aww. And I said, that's kind of weird because you're like 16 <laughs> <laughs> and you look like a grown adult now. Well, but at least he wasn't stalking you on another level. <laughs> yeah. I said, but okay. So I went off and I did this movie basically um, for free. And played his mama, and they they shot this movie half a million bucks. They shot it in something crazy like twelve days. Anyway, this movie's amazing. What's it called? It's called Perfect, and it's a, a coming of age story basically, and it's really interesting. First time director. Anyway, we're we're watching this movie the other day. He's now like taller than me, adorable man. I'm like, how weird is it? Like, we met on a hill, you know? Yeah. And the movie has legs. It's going to be in cinemas and it's really interesting. It's kind of this groundbreaking little movie. It just went to South by Southwest. And so over that time, I was bouncing between movies like Perfect, you know, um, getting paid like total base minimum sag because they had to pay me. I tried to give it back though. <laughs> I was like, guys, can you keep this money because your film could need it, needs it, right? And then going to Geostorm where it was just this huge, big production. And, and so it was a really interesting time for me as an actor and really fun, really, really fun. You should, you know, you've got your red wine sitting there and it's totally okay if you have a sip while we're talking. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so you're one of the few Australians that I've met that didn't come here with a major Australian movie or Home and Away or Neighbours or a NIDA graduate or WAPA. You've done it your own way. So what kind of advice do you give young actresses from Australia or from anywhere really about, you know, your own journey and what that taught you? Well, I think, I think it would be more about um, the things that I think are important because my journey is my journey, you know. Yeah. Like as we were saying, you know, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett's journey is Kate Blanchett, and Jeffrey's Jeffrey, and he's I mean, they're all different. But I think um, I think something that I've noticed is incredibly important is to have 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 a great internal compass. Really tune in, spend the time on yourself, 
um, physically, mentally, spiritually, to to tune into who you are and what you want to do. Uh, trust your instincts always because your instincts are right. Don't ever let anyone tell you they're wrong. They're always right. And be a part of the work that that you that you have a passion for. So no matter what you do, whether it's comedy or you know whatever it is, drama or action movies, be passionate about it because when you're passionate about it, you give your all. Um, choose the people that you work with. Choose good good people, warm people, intelligent people, open people, um, people who enjoy to collaborate. Um, yeah, and just like it's not a race, <laughs> you know. Enjoy enjoy the journey and and absorb as much life and culture and travel and live because that's what really gives you the. Uh, the life experience. It gives you, you the experience on, right? to use the tools to bring things to yeah. life for other people. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it's full, it's full, it's full. Well, there's been a lot of Aussies who've come to LA since you got here. Um, it used to be rare to have Australians succeeding here and now it feels like every morning there's one getting off a Qantas flight. Um, so do you have any theories about why so many Australians are over here doing so well from such a tiny country? I do. Um, I have. I have a feeling. I mean, it blows my mind that the the population of Australia is twenty four million, and that when I was a kid, it was like twenty two point five. I mean, how is that possible? <laughs> how has it, you know, stayed the same? Um, I do think there's a really uh, rich culture running through the the landscape of Australia I think Australians probably because half of us came from convicts um, have a mentality where we really love to kick back and enjoy life like we kind of we we struck gold right yeah down there and we know it <laughs> and so I think having having the ocean and the land and, and we we are we work to live we don't live to work we're open, warm. Even the the language, like when you when you listen to to old school English and how the Australian accent has developed, it's developed with the land. Hmm. It's the accent of the land, the space. It's spacious. I think that's why people like us. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, they do like our accent. <laughs> <laughs> they love us. What are you talking about? Like Aussies are always the life of the party, you know. They're always the fun ones. They're always like everywhere you go there's Australians and yeah, yeah everyone knows an Aussie. <laughs> That's very true. And there was a young Australian actress in Three Billboards called Samara Weaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that must have been nice for you to have her, even though she wasn't in very much of it, just to have that other Aussie sort of, you know, looking up to you, I guess, and going on that journey for the first time must have been fun for you to see. Yeah, it was really sweet. It was really sweet. I actually didn't know because um, we didn't work together. So right. she she drifted in and out of that film and she did such a great job that when I watched the movie, I just thought she was American because <laughs> she's so good in the movie and she's so funny. And then we're at the premiere and she's like, it's so good to finally meet ya. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Really? No way. You're Australian. She's like, yeah. And um, <laughs> she's very cute and bubbly and 
and uh, and gorgeous. So then we obviously had a lot of fun together. Throughout, yeah, throughout the the season. Yeah. <laughs> What's on your bucket list? I think I want to travel more for sure because tra- I used to travel so much, and then then when I settled down here and started to work a lot and travel for work a lot, I noticed I've become a real homebody. The gypsy became a homebody. And so I want to definitely travel more. I have so many places I want to go to. Um, I'd love to write more. Um, I started writing a film and started writing a pilot for a television show, which is nearly done. So I want to go more into producing and developing, which I'm slowly doing. Um, I want to direct one day, but I feel like that's in my like late 40s or something, 50s. I do. And, yeah, um, I don't know, maybe one day get married and have babies. And what about um, getting the chance to go back to Australia and work? Are you always up for that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to do a movie there. Um, I think we're going to start shooting in des- December or January. I think I can say this. So it's an Aussie movie but it's, it's about um, a bunch of biologists and marine biologists that are working in submarines deep down you know in the pacific ocean so you've got people from all over the world but it's an aussie movie funded in australia um developed in australia english director but it's it's an aussie movie it's an aussie movie yeah and i think the main guy is going to be aussie so yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see and do you feel that you now have you know without starting off in the way that a lot of other people did with going to drama school or anything you found your own way of working your own process I think so and it was something that I didn't realize until I started to see some patterns Um, and those patterns emerged particularly when I worked back to back for a while it's really funny when I um when I let go of my publicist and my agent (laughs) I worked more than I ever did before and I I don't know what that why that was maybe it's because that's all I wanted to do I think during this time I because I was going back to back to back and on different types of films and different budgets as we talked about before I realized things that were repetitive I realized that I did I have developed a way of working and I'm constantly building upon that but there's lots of things that that are the same you know Well, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, my pleasure. And um, can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, thanks. I loved hearing Abby's story as a country girl who made it in Hollywood. And I think that's really part of her charm is that she's still a country girl at heart. She's also done it her way and I think we're very lucky because that's produced some incredible film choices and I'm sure that's going to continue for a long time. That's it until next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes of Aussies in Hollywood, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look me up on iTunes.